Hey, hey, what's up, Ninja Turtle fans? Welcome back to a brand spanking new episode of Booyaka Show, a TMNT podcast. As always, I am your host, Zach Norris, and today's episode is a special one for multiple reasons. First reason is, is we are talking about issue 100, IDW's TMNT City at War Part 8, issue 100, eight years in the making, a long time, a lot of issues. Here we are at this giant landmark issue. And not only is it special because we're going to be talking TMNT 100, but if you didn't just catch the way I said that right now, it is going to be special because we will be talking about issue 100. And when I say we, I mean my buddy Rob from Turtle Flakes is joining us. What's up, Rob? What's up, my friend? Long time no talk. Literally long time no talk because this is our first time talking. That's true. It has been a long time, about what, 30 years? <laughs> uh, yeah. yeah, exactly. 30 years uh, in the making, this episode is. Yes, yes, dude. It is an honor to be on your show, man. I've been, I feel like I was just telling uh, Zach a minute ago, uh, I feel like I've, I've already known the guy for, for years. I've been listening to your show, uh, big fan of what you do. And uh, I think you've been killing it lately, buddy. And the recaps you've been doing with uh, the IDW series, it's been. It's spot on, man. So we've we've talked about this for a while. I'm, I'm glad we're finally doing it. And this is gosh, the, the best reason we could probably come up with right here, issue 100. First off, thank you. Appreciate the compliment. And second off, couldn't agree more, man. If we were going <laughs> to if we were going to link up and talk about anything, I'm glad that it's this. Amen, man. <laughs> All right, bud. So now that you're here, I mean, I guess we can give um, a little backstory. So I I started Booyaka show. The first time, I want to say in late 2016, early 2017, and I started Booyaka Show after getting into podcasts. I found Kevin Smith's podcast, Fat Man on Batman, was listening to some sports stuff, and as I discovered the world of podcasting, I was like, hey, I really like Ninja Turtles. Let me see if somebody's doing a Ninja Turtles podcast. Let's see you know, what this is all about. So I look it up, and of course, I find a handful of them, Turtle Soup, Turtle Power Podcast, you know, stuff like that. And then I find Turtle Flakes and started listening to the show. And I was like, wow, these dudes do a good show. And there's a ton of episodes. <laughs> at least at the time I had started listening, there was quite a few already. Because uh, you guys started in 2013, right? Oh, yes, sir. Yeah. Okay. So, yeah. So, y'all already were three years deep. And that was, A, impressive to me that somebody, you know, had enough Turtles content to go for three years almost weekly or monthly, however you guys were doing it. So I started digging into the episodes and was like, man, these guys are great. So I'm a little scared. Like maybe I don't need to be starting my own podcast, but then <laughs> no. was also inspired. Like, you know what? No, these guys, these guys are doing their thing. Turtle power is doing their thing. And I am just going to bring my own spin and my own take to turtles podcasting. But like I said, in the very, very first, the first, first episode of Booyaka Show, Turtle Flakes was a big inspiration for me starting the show. And wow. then, as I said, when the show came back, Turtle Flakes and you especially were an inspiration again, because I had kind of got burnt out with work and editing stuff and being creative. And then I'd picked up some like freelance gigs where I was kind of being uh, my job now was kind of being creative, and so I was kind of burnt out on that a little bit. So 
the podcast slowed way, way down, and then it stopped, but I would still listen to Turtle Flakes in every, maybe not every episode, but a lot of episodes, I'd get this little shout out where it's like, Zach, hope you're okay, man, hope everything's all good, can't wait to hear, you know, when Booyaka's show comes back, and I was like, dude, I'm letting Rob down, I've got to, I've got to change this. So you were a very big uh, inspiration for Booyaka Show coming back, man. So it is it is now back. It is I've now done more episodes than the first show by by far, and hope to keep it going, especially here with the the great you know turtle juices that are flowing with TMNT one hundred and NECA doing you know a bunch of <clears throat> excuse me with NECA doing a bunch of killer figures this year. Rise is actually really great when it, you know, buckles down and focuses on like story and shredder and stuff like that. And now we've got Nickelodeon Netflix deals and movie reboot rumors. So it's a good time to be a Turtles fan. And like you said, man, I'm glad that you are finally here. Thanks for being on the show. Oh man, dude. First of all, thank you, man. I, I, uh, wow. That was really kind, man. Uh, I, I, yeah, I just, I think, I don't remember who reached out to who first, but um, I remember when I first heard your show, I immediately thought this guy's more professional than I am. (laughs) 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 And I immediately, you know, fell in love with the idea, the premise, because I was a big fan of the Nickelodeon show. Um, And I just just loved it from from the get-go, you know? And, uh, oh, absolutely. And, And the fact that you can talk on your own by yourself Man, I've got a lot of respect for you because I have tried that several times and it's tricky. It's hard to do. Um, it's a weird so dynamic I, you know, for sure. It, it, it sure yeah. is. It sure is. But, you know, you always um, had a really high quality show um, from, from pretty much the first episode on. And, um, yeah, it, it's, funny how, it's funny how things work. We were actually uh, supposed to be turtle soup. <laughs> I don't oh, know if I ever okay. told you this. Uh and I, I already had the logo picked out and everything. We were going to be turtle soup because that's unique. That's never been done before. Yeah, right. And yeah, all of a sudden I look and I do a little bit more researching after I, we'd already done the logo. And I see, oh man, there's another podcast called Turtle Soup that's already got 50 episodes out. I better uh, not, I better not do that. <laughs> yep. 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 Good call. So I, I quickly said, uh, changed the soup can to a box of cereal. Uh, and that's how the whole turtle flakes you know, idea came about and I was like, you know what, why don't we just kind of steer into that skid and just do like a Saturday morning podcast and call it turtle flakes, you know? And, and we didn't know, you know, you're talking about content. We didn't know. I know when I started it, I was like, Lord, I'm going to, I'm going to run out of things to say (laughs) and how foolish of a thing to say, because my goodness, the thing is there's so much turtle stuff out there. So much dude. Oh my gosh! Even the comics alone—you yep. could do a full-time podcast for years. You know, absolutely. Not to mention the cartoon episodes, the odd merchandise, the toys. I mean, there is so much going on. It never stops. Um, <laughs> it never stops. Amen to that. And uh, yeah, that—that's just uh, the the beauty of it. I, I remember within the first year, we were like, "Yeah, there's so much to talk about. We can't squeeze it all in one show." Yeah. And then I found out with my, my buddies, Josh Witt first, he was the first co-host. Uh, and then my, my good buddy, Josh O'Rourke, we're all long winded. So <laughs> we could talk about a toy for three hours. Right. So, uh, yeah, but it, it, it's been wonderful. And I'll tell you, it's opened up the gate to meet so many wonderful people, um, like, like yourself, you know, yeah. and, and all these other podcasters. And that's the beauty of it. And you've, 
I've heard you say it, and I completely agree that, you know, it's silly to think there's some kind of weird competition. We all mm-hmm. love the same thing. Yep. You know, why not help each other out, help promote each other, help, you know, help each other with, with advice when it comes to editing or, you know, getting certain turtle goodies or whatever, you know. Absolutely, uh, man. Yeah. And, and honestly, I've never, I've been doing this for seven years. Uh, and I've never run into any kind of competitive edge from any co-host or anything like that. I have listened to a lot of the Turtle Soup episodes, a lot of the Turtle Power Pod episodes, a lot of Turtle Power podcasts, which they're two different shows. Yeah. And then, of course, yours is, has ended up being my favorite because... Oh, you're too um, Oh, it's, it's true because I think you and I share a lot of the same kind of philosophies regarding the turtles, a lot of opinions regarding the turtles. So we'd always talked about having you on Turtle Flakes and the show's kind of taking a break for now and... and uh, you know, that's a long story for another day, but all good things. I, I look back on the show very fondly. Um, but yeah, it's, it's good to finally get to talk to you, man. And you hit the nail on the head. This has been a wonderful year for, for Ninja Turtle stuff. It, it has indeed, man. And I think this, the timing of 100 could not have been per, like more perfect. I don't know if they intended to set it up this yeah. way. I don't know. I mean, I feel like as with anything, it's probably part planning and then part luck. But to end, mm-hmm. well, not to end, to hit 100 at the end of 2019 and then start off this next big chapter in the book uh, in the IDW world with 101 in January, like it just, it has this very um, cool sense of like, we're locking it down in December. It's the end of the year. It's the end of a run of a legacy. And then 2020, we start fresh. And we move forward. So, I don't know. There's almost like this this mystique or this kind of cool, kind of mystical energy around 100. Like it's just, it's a big deal. It had so much yeah. excitement and stuff leading up to it, and then it's like, ooh, here in December, right before the holidays. And so I don't know. <laughs> it 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 was like a good, a really good bookend to a great year of Ninja Turtle stuff. So I completely agree. Yeah, and and it feels like things are resetting, yet they're not. You know, it's, it's strange. Right. It's like, there's some new things. And, and I hope we talk about a preview for something that's in issue 100. Oh, um, we will. <laughs> oh, awesome. We're going to awesome. be, we're going to be doing a lots of, yeah, we're going to be doing lots of talking about a hundred. So <laughs> awesome. before we begin though, uh, Rob, as you know, I like to do some shout outs. We're going to do uh, quick shout outs this round because we have a lot to talk about. I don't want to hold you up. I don't want to hold me up because I'm actually going to try and after we wrap up recording, I'm actually going to head up north a little bit to a comic book store called Nowhere Games and Comics, who is doing a signing with Kevin and Tom Waltz. So, oh, no way. Yeah, so hopefully I'm getting my, my weekend started off in the just turtley best way, where going to record some <laughs> Booyaka show with Rob and then drive up north a little bit and uh, get some comic books signed. So couldn't think of a better way to start my weekend but the way we always start these podcasts is doing some shout outs so real quick i would personally like to shout out john from sewerden uh john just dropped his short film with his buddies um bobo touch that helped him make that um that is out there that is great you guys should check it out it's funny it's awesome it shows you what i believe is like the best version of being like a hardcore old school Ninja Turtles collector. John. I completely agree. Dude, he's such a solid dude. 
mm-hmm. a a green leathery shell covered heart of gold, but <laughs> <laughs> just great dude with a great attitude. You guys should go watch the film. It's great. Then got to shout out the guys at Now or Never Comics. And by the guys, I mean the guy, Aaron. Aaron, what's up, buddy? Aaron and Now or Never always take care of me with turtle stuff and other books that I need. I grabbed my issues of 100 from them. He went out of his way and bumped his TMNT order up a little bit so I could get the Mateo Santoloco 1 in 10 cover. Aaron's a newer shop, so he doesn't have a ton of subscribers for the Turtles book. I think I may be one of two or one of three. So getting 10 copies of an $8 book for him was a little bit more than usual. So appreciate you taking care of me on that, Aaron. Want to shout out a couple IG friends, uh, Ninja Toitles. You guys know them. Rob, I'm sure you're familiar. Oh, yes, sir. Great content, great pins, great collectible stuff. They, you know, Ninja Toitles is one of the biggest you know, advocates of Ninja Turtles on Instagram, if not the biggest, I'm not quite sure, but these guys uh, share a lot of great stuff, create a lot of great stuff, and and Joey over there runs Ninja Turtles, I believe it's Joey. Um, shout out those guys, they do a great job. Shout out Warrior Pins. If you guys uh, follow me on Instagram, you saw a thing that I just posted to my story. Uh, Warrior Pins, I'm sorry, but I'm forgetting your first name. We, I know we talked like a year ago, but just message me out of the blue with some really kind things to say, some really nice things, some very encouraging things about, you know, being creative. And, and so just really appreciate the encouraging thoughts and gesture from them. You guys should follow warrior pins on Instagram. That is the word warrior followed by the word pins P I N S. And also Ninja Toitles is N I N J A T O I T L E S. Don't forget to follow them. And then speaking of Instagram, got to shout out my buddy TMNT Tracks, a.k.a. Robert. What is up, Robert? Another great guy who creates some really cool mm-hmm. Turtles content and has nothing but nice things to say as a avid listener of the podcast. So I appreciate you, man. Hope all is well up there in the uh, great white north. And then last but not least, got to shout out my buddy TJ Shevlin. TJ's a big Turtles fan. He is um, a big toy fan, works at Super 7. Uh, we've talked turtles on here before and that dude is a good friend of mine who hasn't been having the best last couple weeks so just wanted to send some positive energy his way and send some love his way tj what's up buddy hope you're all good thanks for being a solid homie and uh that's all i've got for shout outs rob you got any shout outs you want to uh handle before we begin well, first of all, yeah, I completely agree with you about uh, John from the Sewer Den. Uh, I finally got to see the movie this week, and it, it was awesome. And he's quite the dancer. Oh, he's <laughs> he's got one-of-a-kind moves. He's got game, I'll tell you. <laughs> and he does. That's that turtle power. But, uh, yep. yeah, and, and every every set that you just mentioned, I actually follow uh, uh, the Ninja Turtles one. They always come out with really cool designs. And I think I, I follow Warrior Pins as well. But if not, I will. Shout out to, I, I would say, well, uh, the only thing I could think of right now off the top of my head would be, you know, shout out to just all the wonderful creators. Uh, shout out to Tom Waltz, a hundred episodes, or I'm sorry, a hundred issues of a comic book. That is unheard of nowadays. You know what's funny, uh, dude? If I can cut you yeah. off one second. So in my, yes, little, in my little notes here, I've got, ask Rob if he's got shout outs. Very next thing is, shout out the Issue 100 creative team. <laughs> <laughs> Perfect. How are you reading my notes, dude? Oh, man, I'm that good. <laughs> <laughs> uh, 
So yeah, yeah sorry to cut I, you off, but yes, the Tom Waltz, the team, please continue. Oh my gosh. Yeah, no, it, it, it it's wonderful. Uh, when we first started at Turtle Flakes, um, the comics were out for maybe six months or so. Mm-hmm. And it's amazing that one single writer has done all of this. Um, and I'm sure incredible. it was a team, you know, yeah, it, it was a team, a collaborative effort with Bobby Kernow, Kevin Eastman, a lot of the side stories. I mean, everything has been just incredible. And it's just one of those things. I, I've been saying it ever since we started. This is a great time to be a Turtles fan. And it really Absolutely. is. Here in the year 2019, going into 2020, I'm just as excited as when we first started. Yeah. Um, and yeah, I guess just shout out to the creators of this episode for me. Yeah. So, dude, if you guys, Rob, you said you did, and I appreciate that. For the people listening at home, in the first City at War recap I did, I tried to make a point to shout out uh, Bobby Curnow and Rhonda Pattinson. Uh, is it Pattinson or Pattison? I'm looking at it right. Pattison. Yeah, I've been saying Pattison, but I could be wrong. No, it is definitely Pattison. I always want to throw that extra in in there. Rhonda Pattison, Bobby Curnow, Sean Lee is the letterer. Those guys, Bobby Curnow even said this on Twitter that, you know, Rhonda was like the glue or the anchor or the backbone because just she's been, she, dude, she's been coloring this book for a hundred issues. Yeah, and she's no she's colored work from, you know, ten if not more. It's got to be more ten, fifteen. How many ever artists who have cycled in and out of this book, and managed somehow with like the distinct changes in styles, distinct changes in probably work processes and workflows, and has just continued to you know, make this book feel like it's one thing. You know, the art style changes, the characters change, the story moments get bigger or more intimate or however that flows. And Rhonda Pattison and Sean Lee creatively have been anchors. And then you've got Bobby Curnow editing. I can only imagine what it takes to be an editor, but then to be an editor on Ninja Turtles where you have to balance, you know, creative and executive decisions from the story guys that you work with, Kevin Eastman and Tom Waltz, but you have to balance that with, you know, executive higher up kind of creative control from Nickelodeon and Viacom who own the IP. I can't imagine that that is easy. And then balancing that, doing that juggling act, and then working with Kevin Eastman, the guy who created Ninja Turtles and Tom Waltz, who's now writing, you know, like you said, a hundred issues and reining those guys in and having to be either the, the deciding factor when an idea is good or the, you know, the buffer or filter when an idea may not be as good. It's, it's an impressive thing that those, you know, that this team has been what it has been for a hundred issues and that they created what they created for a hundred issues. And then again, based on Twitter, the day the book dropped, you, you got Tom Waltz on there showing everybody a ton of love, Bobby Curnow on there showing everybody a ton of love. And again, I'm not sure if it's Curnow or Curnow, but however you say Bobby's last name, props to him, props to Rhonda Pattison, Sean Lee, and, uh, and of course, Tom Waltz, the guy who scripted a hundred issues of this comic yeah. book, eight years worth of this comic book. And here we are. So yeah, shout out to those guys. Rob, if you're ready, let's uh let's start talking 100, dude. Oh, buddy, I can't wait. It sounds good. 
All right. So before we get into strictly like the uh, the recap or breakdown, Rob, I just wanted to ask you a few questions regarding, you know, just general stuff about 100. And also quick little note, guys, for y'all listening at home, this podcast is going to be packed to the brim with spoilers. So please, if you have not listened, or excuse me, if you've not read issue 100, do not listen to this podcast any further because we're going to talk about every and anything issue 100 related. So that's your spoiler warning. I'm going to give you guys like five seconds to shut this podcast down starting here. (laughs) Um, But um, yes, if you haven't read 100, tune out now, come back when you have. So Rob, tell me a little bit about your your history with the IDW Ninja Turtles comics and your your excitement leading up to issue 100 because to say that I was excited would be an understatement so let me let me hear it from your side oh man it's huge for me it's huge i mean i was a big volume 4 fan uh when it came out um in the early 2000s and and the second volume of the tales of the TMNT that's what i was planning originally when i started podcasting to talk about Okay. And then right around that time, the IDW um, comics were released. And I was like, you know what? I'll talk about something old, and then I'll talk about something new, you know? Perfect. And as soon as I started uh, reading the the books, and I saw what they did with the reincarnation story at the beginning, I said, holy cow, this is different, but this is awesome. And, and I liked the changes that were made. And all throughout the journey... It's even gotten better over time. I think of the Dark Leo saga. I think about the neutrinos. I think about um, all the universe issues in addition to all this. I think about, of course, the the infamous Donatello issue and and all the things that happened there. Krang. I mean, it is a cornucopia of everything I love about the turtles. And it's just really heated up. I mean, when the City at War arc started up, I mean, I was... I was just as engrossed, if not more, than any other book I've ever read before. And um, I admit that I actually didn't get caught up on the last two issues until fairly recently, the last two or three weeks. But when I when I read the rest of the Shredder and Hell series, and I read issues 97, 90, and 98, 99, I thought to myself, how in the world are they going to wrap it all up in, in issue 100? <laughs> you are <laughs> not the only so one, dude. Moving, yeah. There are so many moving parts going on here and so many side storylines that I was into, mm-hmm. not to mention the Turtles history that was made um, with, with so many firsts in, in this IDW run. Mm-hmm. And the, the one, I mean, the biggest one off the top of my head is Jenica and how right. I think overall she's been very much embraced. I, I just, I'm blown away. And this, this issue, yeah, I mean, it, it wraps everything up in a way I never thought it would. So it's, it's been wonderful. Cool, man. And, and yeah, that's, I mean, it was definitely a lot to chew on. I was kind of, when they first announced city at war, when they first started teasing city at war, I was like, okay, we're, we're doing a bit of homaging to the, to the OG books. That's cool. Mm -hmm. Uh, like when they do that and eight issue arc, that's, that's pretty big, pretty epic, makes it feel larger like made it made it feel like the scale was more grand yeah 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 i just remember thinking like after the first few that kind of focused on jenica and kind of focused on putting the the pieces in place i was like man you know they're they're calling this city at war and and i get it we're seeing the mob mob guys go at it and we're seeing you know the foot is is torn in half and 
mutanimals and blah, blah, blah. But it, it felt like because they were putting all the pieces together, I was kind of like, you know, is this going to ramp up? And then, you know, right. sure enough, 95, 96, 97, like stuff just goes haywire, dude. It just mm-hmm. jumps off in a big, bad way. And, you know, we got to 99 and I was like, man, to to think that I ever doubted this, <laughs> you know, this is truly a city at war. Like when I when I tell people that haven't read it, uh, you know, when I kind of nerd out to, you know, either casual turtle fans or, you know, comic book fans who aren't necessarily turtle fans. I'm like, dude, this this arc is Game of Thrones meets Ninja Turtles. You've got these. Oh, that's a good comparison. Right. You've got you've got these factions that are vying for power. You've got, you know, people coming back from the dead, possibly with Shredder in hell. You've got people transforming, excuse me, mutating. You've got this secret clan of ninjas that's being torn down the middle by their current leader and a person who wants to take leadership is just, there was a lot going on. And so for a hundred to end the way it did, where it gave us some, you know, concrete, resolute answers and plot points, and then left us, you know, hanging on for a couple other things that to me was, was just good comic book stuff. Don't want to get too ahead of myself here, but, um, did you, Rob, did you have any expectations and or hope for a hundred? Like after reading City at War one through seven, you know, did you did you want to see any certain things happen in eight? Did you did you th- um, think you knew what was going to happen in eight? Um, no, no, I, I I certainly did. Well, as far as expectations, I knew. Like Josh and I always kind of tease each other. I knew something was going to happen in the You know, I I seeing the kind of journey. Um, that Splinter had been through throughout the series, he'd done some great things and some questionable things. And I, mm-hmm. and I felt like, okay, I feel like he's going to find a way to redeem himself in the end, but I don't know how he's going to do that. Right. Uh, but I had a feeling he was going to sacrifice himself to save others. Mm-hmm. So I was kind of expecting something to happen with him. And then, of course, when you read Treader in Hell, you're waiting for something there. It's either going to be something's going to happen to Saki or something's going to happen to Yoshi. Mm -hmm. Uh, But as far as everything else, I guess I was expecting maybe old Hob to get it. Um, I was kind of thinking, okay, in my thought process, Tom Waltz is creating all these great memorable characters, these new characters specifically from the IDW series. I think he's going to kill some off in this issue. Right. And I thought Old Hop was going to be one of them. So, not to get too he- too ahead of ourselves, but um, I was surprised on a lot of different levels. Yeah, and and those are all good points, man. I remember kind of feeling the same way, especially after getting through the the final book. Excuse me, getting through the final book of Shredder and Hell, where right. you know we're seeing Saki and the Dragon kind of race towards this like light. I mean, even in the in the beginning few issues of Shredder and Hell where Splinter shows up and he's kind of talking about helping Saki like, you know, through this world. And I was like, man, they are feels like they're doing like a redemption arc for Shredder. And, right. and having Splinter involved feels like you're you're putting their relationship back at the forefront. You're putting their, you know, their feud back at the forefront. But not necessarily the the bad aspects of their feud you're showing maybe not even putting their feud at the forefront you're putting their relationship at the forefront and how they used to be clan brothers and how 
you know, Hamato Yoshi wanted the best for Saki, and, you know, they kind of got lost in that. But, again, we'll, we'll definitely get there. But last question, what was your initial reaction after, and excuse, I don't know if you guys can hear that. Somebody is, like, going crazy with my trash can outside. Like the, the oh, I can hear a thing. Oh, okay, cool. It's, I hope it's just me. Because well, I hope you didn't hear wild. the baby shark. My son's got a baby shark toy that just went off when I got a cup of coffee. <laughs> <laughs> no, didn't, didn't hear it at all, but somebody is wiling out back there with the dumpster. So hopefully everything's okay. But what was your, if you can recall, what was your initial reaction or your initial response seeing, you know, the last, just getting through a hundred and closing the book and just, what was that moment for you? Tom Waltz, you dog, you did it. <laughs> I, I tell you, I, it's funny because I made all kinds of plans to read this five or six times throughout the week. And unfortunately, you know, how life happens. Absolutely. And I've only actually read it once and then kind of went back through and took some notes. Uh, and then so I guess going page by page with you will be just the second time. I'm still, I read it this morning actually for the first time, and I'm still kind of in shock. But in a good way, like I, I was not disappointed. I think they they closed some doors. I think, and I remember, I don't know if you've ever had this happen with uh, cartoon episodes, but you know, you're getting close to the end of the episode. And you're like, okay, how's he going to wrap this up? Mm-hmm. There, there's only five pages left. How's this going to happen? Mm-hmm. And the rascal did it. I, I don't know how he did it, but I walked away feeling like it felt, at least for me, like an appropriate epic conclusion that also opened the door to a lot of interesting storylines in the future. And that's kind of what you want here. Absolutely. Um, so that was my immediate reaction. I, I definitely, I'm looking forward to going back and rereading it now because <laughs> I think there might've been a few things I missed, but yeah. um, that was my immediate reaction. I was, I read all the shredder and hells again this morning and um, I read this one at the very end and I just, I felt like it went in line with those perfectly. And I, I was just very satisfied with the ending. What about you? Uh, you know what, man? I'm, I'm right there with you. I was very satisfied. There's, there's a couple things we'll talk about when we get there that, that I kind of maybe wanted a little bit more from, but I'll explain what mm-hmm. I mean when we get there. But there was just this feeling of like, oh, that was a hundred <laughs> issues. And and that yeah. ending to those 100 issues could not have been, it just, I, I hate to be maybe uh, dramatic or whatever, but I, it just felt perfect, dude. It felt mm-hmm. like a good way to wrap all this up. If you, you know, you go back to issues one through four where the turtles being separated and dealing with Hob, and then issue like seven, I think, is when we first see Shredder, and then like 10 is where he really enters the picture. And you go yeah. from 10 to 40 is just, you know, nothing but Krang and Shredder, you know, rivalry. And the turtles, you know, battling each of those sides of this coin and, you know, being stuck in between and having to do what they do. And then you get to issue 50 and you see this intense battle, but also this like very charming and sentimental like to me dude it was like it was like an old samurai flick of like the highest caliber you know you've got hamato yoshi and oroku saki on this roof shredder's got this you know wound in his chest and 
he's, you know, using his claw to stab himself in the stomach and Splinter, you know, cuts his head off, you know, OG samurai style. And they just, they kind of trade these little sentiments to each other of like, you know, I want to help you see the dream again. Are you ready, brother? And he, you know, Saki's like, you know, telling him thanks and stuff. And you're like, dude, he's, he's about to kill him. Like what is happening? Yeah. Isn't that wild? Yeah. And it was just so like, you know, not that I want to say that like violence of some sort is, is beautiful, but like it was a beautiful way to do it. And so then when they brought up Shredder and Hill and they start showing us Saki's, you know, journey through battling his demons and kind of redeeming himself. I was like, dude, they are, I was like, I feel like they're going to bring this dude back. Like they're, what, yeah. what do they do after this arc if he doesn't come back? And then they, d- they did what they did. We'll get there and talk about it. But it just felt like such a cool way for Tom Waltz to, to close this part of the book. And it almost felt kind of like, uh, if I can get a little, a different kind of nerdy on everyone, it felt like watching the end of Lord of the Rings where Frodo's like writing what he writes in the book and then he kind of like closes the book and he looks at it, yeah. like, you know, kind of longingly or like, man, like I, we really made it through this journey and here's the end. I, I kind of envisioned like, A, I did that. I literally closed a hundred and like looked at it and was like, man, here we are. But I could also like imagine Tom Waltz doing that with like the script. Like I imagined him like at his keyboard typing it up and being like, the end, you know? Um, wow. Yeah. So it was really good, man. Um, we will, we'll get more into that. Here we are. We're, we're coming up on 35 minutes and we haven't <laughs> cracked the book open yet, dude. We're leave it to two podcasters, right? <laughs> <laughs> I mean, Hey, it's not like we know how to talk or anything, right? All right. No kidding. I can't shut up. All right, man. So what, I know I talked about, uh, told you about the plan before, but for the listeners, what we're going to do guys is we are literally going to crack open issue 100 and we're going to go, uh, basically page for page. We're going to read a couple pages at a time. Rob and I are going to go back and forth. We're not going to read every single panel, every single bubble to you guys, but we're basically just going to describe kind of loosely what's going on in the two pages. Talk about big moments, talk about cool art, talk about cool little, you know, lines or whatever. Try not to take too long getting through all of the stuff, but we will definitely focus on certain things over others. And then at the end, we'll kind of, you know, wrap it all up and talk about again, after seeing it, you know, page for page, kind of break down the whole book and then, you know, talk about stuff for the future because there's a lot, again, like Rob said, like I said, there's a lot that gets settled here. There is a lot that comes to a close, doors closing, if you want to use that analogy, and then there's a few doors left wide open. There's some kicked open, but we will get to that when we get to that. Rob, would you like to start us off or you want me to get into it? Oh, actually, I'd be happy to, man. Uh, So this one starts off the story so far. Uh, Cry has defeated Splinter and taken control of the Foot Clan. Olhab has detonated a mutagen bomb in New York City, making mutants public and creating hundreds of them in the process. In a last-ditch effort to save Master Splinter and the the orphans formerly under his care, Leonardo has led Bishop and his forces into the heart of the Foot Clan HQ. Meanwhile, above, Kitsune at long last prepares to raise her father, the apocalyptic dragon. So uh, the way I understand it, the very first page here, Yoshi's in the astral plane and he's saying, please show me the path you know, that, that leads to redemption here. So it's a little bit of a foreshadowing on what's going to happen later. Mm-hmm. And then I think these are flashbacks to 
the events in Shredder and Hell, um, where Kitsune needs uh, Saki's uh, love and trust to bring the dragon, her father, back. And then we get a part where Karai is confronting Kitsune, uh, who has, Kitsune has stolen the Kiro no Ken, the, the blade of Takeshi Tatsuo, which was, to my understanding, Shredder's father, right? That uh, maybe should have done a little, I should have maybe solidified that, but but <laughs> I don't know if he's his father as much as he's like, you know, the ancient evil spirit that kind of okay. was begrudgingly has been begrudgingly like holding on to Saki as his like uh physical life force or whatever. You'd have to read reread Secret History of the Foot and reread Shredder in Hell and you'll learn all about Takeshi Tatsuo, but the dragon is Kitsune and like the Pantheon's father. Takeshi Tatsuo, yeah. I believe is like the vessel for that. That that makes sense. Yeah. Yeah, and then meanwhile, nobody and Koya and bludgeon they're they're duking it out and i, I think there's some great scenes with uh bebop and rocksteady here what about you i am a fan man i love <laughs> there's just to kind of re uh reiterate there's early on i was a little confused because i i'd seen people i'd seen a couple idw people talking on twitter and you know shouting out all the various artists like included in 100 and i was like what do you mean like i thought just i thought dave walker was drawing this and then you crack it open and the first page that, you know, like you talked about with Splinter meditating is that's Mateus Santoloco and Dave Wachter. And then you yeah. get to the the page with, like you're saying, Koya Bludgeon, them duking it out with Mikey and Angel and Donnie, and then Rocksteady and Bebop slugging it out with these Slash clones. And I'm pretty sure that that is Michael Dialinus. So yeah, a, a yeah, lot of moving so. parts going on here, but this just right off the bat just lets you know, you know, the pages you talked about with Kitsune and Shredder's body and, you know, Yoshi meditating is like, okay, that's going to be the spiritual side. That's going to be the kind of mystical side. And here we are, you turn the page and it's just straight into a brawl. Like here's the ninja physical action. Here's like the oomph of this issue. So definitely, I mean, they, they wasted no time getting started with these first, you know, four pages. Right. Yeah. And I forgot to mention that Ocho was guarding Kitsune at this point. Uh, and that's going to play a part a little bit later on. Yep. Definitely has a, a, a cool part later on. And I thought it was really cool that, you know, Karai is kind of like, Hey man, I was leading you. You were my homie. You were my bodyguard. And Ocho's <laughs> like, I'm, like, I'm I never a demon. You. Yeah, she's like, I'm a demon thing connected to this sword, dude. I'm like, we're not friends anymore. Yeah, um, we're not tight. Yeah, so we, we don't follow each other on Instagram anymore. <laughs> yeah, you, you <laughs> took me out of your top eight, and right. that's a, a MySpace oh, joke for, like yeah, for anybody who remembers. <laughs> All right, man. So I'm gonna I'm gonna take over on this next page. We we've still got you know Rock City and Bebop duking it out with the Slash clones and Hun who if you guys listen to my recaps, you know that I'm just basically fed up with Hun and Bishop. And we've we've got Hun here just absolutely taking Rock City and Bebop to church with this Slash clone. But then Anchovy jumps in and kind of disrupts what's going on there, kind of helps his uh, homies out. And then we cut back to another page of Kitsune. Basically, the, the body of Shredder is absorbing the Kirino Ken. We knew this was a magic sword. We know, I believe at some point, somebody called it the Sword of Hate. You know, oh, it actually, on this page, it is called the Sword of Hate. 
and it's, you know, we know it's magic. We know it's got some bad juju going on with it. So it being absorbed into Shredder's body is probably not a good thing. And Karai and Ocho start duking it out. We turn the page and we see this really, really epic, you know, the body of Shredder rises after absorbing the Kira no Ken. And Kitsune says she is talking to talking about Karai battling Ocho and says she clings desperately to her so-called reign, refusing to accept the truth that the Foot Clan is no more as she stares into this empty shredder helmet that has these red kind of demon eyes glowing in it. Yeah, very cool looking. Very cool. I was like, oh man, it's like Shredder Ghost Rider right here. Um, (laughs) But then speaking of, you know, flaming skulls or whatever, we've got a flaming shredder helmet with red demon eyes and then you go one page over and we're looking at Oroku Saki's head in like a bowling ball bag. <laughs> <laughs> and April's parents, they had no idea. They're like, that was in the house the whole time. Yeah. They're like, you've been keeping the skull of a ancient ninja clan, you know, leader <laughs> in our antique shop. What is wrong with you? And Splinter's basically right, and like, they- I'm sorry. I didn't know where else to put it. (laughs) (laughs) And they're like, and they really take it well. They're like, well, we understand. Yeah. I mean, you know, you've got to give it up for certain people in this book that I think are maybe the, uh, the unsung heroes like the, the O'Neill's and some of the other people that are kind of ancillary or auxiliary characters, whatever you want to call them, where it's like, they have a daughter who is best friends with four Ninja Turtles. So a a rat walking into their store and being like, hey, can I grab this bag that I left here? There's only a skull inside of it. You know, they, they take like, it really eh. well, but it's because they've been trained to think that, you know, um, this is just an, another Wednesday for us here at the O'Neill household. <laughs> That's so true. Yeah. And, but, you know, the, the end of this scene, too, I feel like is, Splinter saying his goodbyes, you know, this is when I started thinking, okay, this is going to actually happen. Absolutely, Um, man. She, he tells April, he says, my brave dear child, if there's one thing I've learned in two lifetimes, it is that anything is possible, but whatever happens, please know that it has been my great honor and privilege to have known you all as your blessed friend. And I was like, well, where's my my tissues at? (laughs) Yeah, I know. I was like, this is going to happen. Yep. So I'll let you take it's over. It's weird the because when you, okay, buddy. Yeah. It, it's weird because when you, uh, when you feel like it's going to happen, then it actually does happen. It's like, it's like you were expecting it, but you're still kind of sad. Oh, <laughs> of course, man. And it's like, it doesn't just because you're expecting it to happen doesn't mean that it doesn't still. And I, I'm, I'm not telling you this cause I know, you know, but for, for just media in general, just cause you can see something right. happening doesn't mean that it can't still be good. You know, I get a lot of people that'll tell me like, oh, this movie was predictable or, oh, I saw that coming or, oh, blah, blah, blah. And it's like, I don't think everybody's goal is to trick you or to make you not see something coming. You know, I think the goal here was to make you feel this, to to let you know, like, this is what we've been working towards and this is what Splinter believes in. And so even though from Shredder and Hell and like early parts in this issue, you're like, okay. I, th- I think we're going to get to a place where I didn't necessarily want to get to with Splinter. It happens and it still hits, you know? I completely agree. I, I think Tom has almost kind of been teasing it for a, a while, you know? Um, yeah. uh, and I guess San Loco uh, did 
the writing on Saturn Hell too, and mm-hmm. you know they they both been teasing that this is probably going to happen. Yeah. Um. So it, it doesn't change the effect at all. You're absolutely right. Yeah. So the next scene, we get a cutaway to Leonardo and Bishop having an awesome fight, and very cool fight. Oh, too. I've been waiting for this. I've yep. been waiting for this. <laughs> uh, and then um, in the bottom left uh, panel, uh, we see this side just go through Bishop's machine head, which mm-hmm. was awesome because that's the the first time that Raf joined them in a while. Uh, and this is such an interesting dynamic here because we see Raf; he's still in shock after the events of issue ninety nine, yep. where he was working for Hob, really didn't know the entire plan that they were going to mutate the whole city. Is kind of still in shock and enraged because of that. And he's trying to take his rage out on Bishop here because Bishop is completely exposed. His little man baby head is in the chest and <laughs> yeah. protected by this, this thin layer of glass and Raph trying to break through and he's doing everything he can to get in there to kill him. Yep. And um, that's when Leo, I mean, of all moments, I, I almost expected Leo to just kind of let Raph do what he's got to do. But Leo still being the awesome leader that he is, still is like, no, that's not who we are, Raph. That's not who we are. Yep. And, oh, there's a scene with those two later on I love. But, uh, but yeah, uh, finally, Leo kind of talks Raph down from killing Bishop, and the, the grass is all, uh, the glass is all cracked up, and uh, uh, yet Bishop still lives yep. at this point. Unfortunately. there is is, again if you guys listen to the recaps you know hun and bishop were they were at the top of my list of people that i was like man i cannot wait to see you guys get out of here (laughs) i was so over just they're they're just really bad dude like they're just really really evil and i was i was hoping that they were going to get what's coming to them but yeah man these are some really it's a really epic moment here like just the the fight between Bishop and Leo looks cool. Mm-hmm. Again, I think this is, I think this is Dave Walker handling these pages, uh, just based on the shape of of Leo's head and stuff. And he does a killer job. The bottom panel where Leo's getting like zapped with Bishop's laser hands, and it's like all blue and lit up. Like that was really cool. And that's awesome. You know the the head getting stabbed with the sigh was cool. But then yeah, man, very very cool moment seeing Raph and Leo. Again, you know, you're you're seeing Raph rage out. It's something that as Turtle fans we're we're pretty used to seeing an angry Raph and he is full blown like, you know, berserker Wolverine mode right here. And yeah. like you said, you see Leo be the the good leader that he is, the good older brother that he is, and he's like I'm I'm sure I'm I'm not trying to project my own thoughts here onto Leo, but it, like I'm sure the thought maybe passed through his mind that like, would it be so bad if this dude bit the dust right now? Probably right. <laughs> not, but I don't want my brother to be, I don't want my brother to like bear this weight. I don't want him to have right. this on his conscience and on his heart. And so he stops him like a good brother and like a good uh, leader and get a really like heartwarming moment between the two of them. Cause Raph kind of snaps out of his, you know, kind of blacked out rage and, you know, Leo just, just holds him. And is like, you know, mm-hmm. like it's all good, it's all right, little bro. And the way they laid these panels out was really. I was cool. about to say, yeah. I just love that it's like there's three big panels of like close up face stuff conversation, and then a smaller panel of them beginning to hug, and then just this very small no panel. It's like really emphasized by the negative space on the page, and Leo's holding Raph, and he's just like, it's all right, I've got you. 
perfect. One of my dude. favorite favorite pages in the book, right Aaron, here. Absolutely beautiful, beautiful page. Very well done. Uh, tons of props to Dave Walker for pulling that off the way he did. Yeah, yeah. That that's the thing that, um, and we'll see it again later on too. There's a lot of heart sprinkled into this issue with all the mm-hmm. chaos going on. Yeah. Uh, so the, how they did that with however many pages this is, I know it's double sized. It's it's incredible uh, yeah. that they were able to squeeze all that in there. So yeah, good stuff. Yeah, man. And to to follow that up, it's impressive that we jump. You know, back like we start this early stuff on, like we talked about page page one is is a mix of Dave Walker and Mateus Santaloco, and then Walker kind of takes off full steam ahead. But then when we switch to when we get to this very next page with Casey and Jenica, the book is mm-hmm. taken over by Michael Dialinus. When we get to the moment of Raph and Leo on the next page, like it's unmistakable, like that's Michael's style, and um, he is credited on the front of the book with. Walker, so I kind of figured they were the two main artists in here, but we've got Jenica and Casey just straight up handling like a ton of foot soldiers and EPF agents, like again, really reinforcing the idea of the city at war. There's just bodies strewn about them of, you know, SWAT looking guys and foot ninjas, and then uh, Anchovy gets thrown kind of in their direction. Hun is all beat up. Turn the page. We've got Rock City and Bebop going at it still with these Slash clones, which I don't know how you felt about the Slash clones, Rob, but that was just another, that was basically the icing on the cake for my hatred of Bishop. I was like, not only did this sick maniac take Slash from us in like the most evil villain way, but then he cloned him and made these two like bootleg versions. So it's like, He's just stacking like one evil deed on top of the other. And I was just like, oh my goodness, dude. Again, Mm -hmm. I was was ready this whole issue for this dude to bite the dust. But we've got Hun here talking about, or, you know, Casey telling him like, dad, what the hell are you thinking? He's like, I'm not, kid, I'm doing. And he just kind of takes over. And I'm definitely not going to use the word sympathize because I don't sympathize with Hun one bit. I feel like he's almost like a twisted version of splinter in this in this way that splinter became or actually maybe they're not even a twisted version maybe as splinter got more as splinter kind of lost sight of how he wanted to protect the boys you know he took over the foot clan and his idea his goal was like i'm protecting my sons by doing this i'm protecting my family and as that power kind of got to him he got a little more evil he got a little more ruthless to me, that's kind of what happens with Hun. You know, he yeah. he thinks at first, and again, maybe I'm kind of projecting my own feelings here, but he kind of starts this out as he thinks he's protecting Casey. He wants to get Casey out of the mix of all this, you know, crazy stuff with the mutants and the EPF and aliens, and he's just trying to kind of protect his son, but he's going about it in this giant, like, meathead bad guy way, and he basically just becomes more and more bad. Um, and obviously we'll see that come to a climax later on, but there's a, um, a little moment here touching on, like you said, where Raph is like, you know, I screwed up big time, man. I, I didn't know that Hob had a bomb and Leo's like, dude, he would have done it with or without you. It's not your fault. And then you got Casey calling his dad out, says you're never going to change drunk or not. You're always going to be the same selfish numbskull. And Casey and Hun just going back and forth. We get over to the next page, and again, there's some there's some more 
good Raph and Leo stuff. Again, you're just really seeing how good of a leader Leo is here. And it kind of, internally, it kind of makes me laugh a little bit because my buddy Drew, uh, what's up, Drew? Shout out this guy. He's a good good guy, good Turtles fan. He's a big Leonardo fan. Leonardo's his favorite turtle, and I'm always kind of giving him a hard time because he likes the Boy Scout, or he likes, you know, the the guy that nobody else likes. Uh, and that's obviously being dramatic. I know, like, a ton of people are Leo fans, but these panels really, really drive home why Leo is who he is and how he and you is need who that, he is. yeah. He knows Raph is angry. He knows Raph has been, you know, manipulated, and he's just like, look, man, that wasn't you. That was Hob. I love this part right here where he says, you're the strongest of us all, and that's why I push you so hard, because I know you can mm-hmm. take it. Uh, I can count on you to come through in the end no matter what, that you'll always come back from that dark edge back to the family that loves you. And I was like, oh, man. Good stuff. Perfect. That's really good stuff. Perfect. <laughs> and um, Leo is one of those characters for me, um, was my least favorite turtle as a kid. That is, has become one of my favorites. Okay. And I think, I think the writing in this comic book, the whole series kind of solidifies that, you know, that you need a leader at some point. And, and when things were getting a little rocky with Splinter, Leo, for the most part, except for the whole Dark Leo saga early on, mm-hmm. it was kind of the, the voice of reason. And I think this is kind of the epitome of the great leader he is in this, in this issue and the great leader he's going to be in the future, you know, going into the, the next batch of books. But yeah, this, this was great stuff here. I really enjoyed that. Yeah, man. He, he really, they really drive it home that like, this dude is who he is for a reason. You know, like you said, when he, when clan Hamato took off, like this dude's dealing with Raph who just got brainwashed by Bishop and you know, uh, the, the, the Raph one shot, you know, Mikey's back and forth out there with the mutanimals and then back home. And Leo's been through a lot besides being, I mean, not to mention, like you said, being brainwashed into becoming a bad guy for a little bit, but you know, he's really seen his family get put through the ringer and yeah. he's he's the glue, dude. He's holding. Yeah, holding he's the rock. Up. I'll let you take it from here, dude. If you want to start with the uh, Rock oh, City yeah. Bob Anchovy. No, absolutely. Yeah. Uh, did they make the joke about the spelling yet? Because that's one of my favorite parts with those two. Um, you want know, to spell killer with a C or something like oh, that? Oh man, did I skip it? <laughs> oh no, no worries. But, oh, no, uh, they definitely yeah, they, we did back on uh back on the page where they're beating up one of the Slash clones. He says, true, right. it's an, an F for killing, and he's like, pretty sure killing starts with a C, Rock. <laughs> <laughs> you gotta love it when an idiot corrects another idiot. <laughs> oh, dude, yeah, and then he's, he says, pretty sure it starts with a C, just like Knuckles. <laughs> yeah, and boy, yeah, right, right, and boy, what a progression, too, like, from being the menacing, scary dude uh, in the Donatello issue to mm-hmm. what they are now, and how, you know, once again, credit to the writing, how you can transform characters like that. Yeah. Um, yeah, so we get a really cool scene here where Hun is once again being Hun here, and he's bad mouthing Jenica. And I forget, Jenica gets. Let me see here on this panel. Jenica, uh, he, he's Hun's insulting Jenica, and then all of a sudden, a headless, or at least robot headless, mm-hmm. uh, Bishop comes in. He says, They're abominations, one and all. They must be stopped. It's like my father always used to say there's more than one way to skin a monstrosity. Uh, and so he's at Seneca really good here. Yeah. And uh, then Bishop kind of hints that he's about to attack Casey here. Now, this is where Hun kind of has a problem with that yep. um, uh, here in a minute. But 
real quickly before that happens, um, Casey checks up on Jenica and he goes, don't you die on me. And she's like, I'm not dying, Casey, just catching my breath. And he goes, I like this line. He's like, oh, you got to stop scaring me like that. Because, yeah. you know, it's a call back to everything that's been happening to her the last few weeks. Mm-hmm. But yeah, yeah. Then we get a really cool fight scene between uh, Donatello and uh, Bishop here. I guess Donatello and Leonardo here. Donatello's got a sword or a katana here. You know what, dude? Um, I, think, I think that's, if you look is at that, that Leo? that's Leo. I think just the way they did this red oh, scene, it with makes the red. blue. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Yeah, yeah. I was like, I didn't know he jumped in here. Right, right. <laughs> uh, yeah, and then poor Raph is being strangled by one of the clone slashes. And Hun, he's about to finish Raph off, too. He says, I'm going to kill you for good, freak. And that's when Casey steps in once again, hits Hun. And he's trying to talk, talk into his dad and just say, hey, look, don't you realize what you're doing here? Can't you see it? The only one acting like an animal is you. And Hun goes, I'm, I ain't no animal. Uh, Case, I'm doing this for your own good. So just like you said, in a weird warped way, he thinks he's doing good here. Mm-hmm. Um, and he said, and you got to stop getting in my way and let me do it. And I think, I always kind of think back to the deviations version of Hun. And I was like, the only way Hun can redeem himself now is if he does something to save Casey. Mm-hmm. And that's exactly what Tom Walsh did here. And I was like, oh, this is perfect. And he, even then, it wasn't perfect. But basically, Bishop says, he does. The only thing worse than these mistrust monsters is a human traitor, unfaithful to his own kind. He's about to blast Casey. Yeah. And uh, he says, and shamefully disloyal to his own father. And finally, it's like in that moment where Bishop turns on Casey, Hun snaps out of him. He goes, no. And as Bishop shoots Casey or tries to kill him, Hun steps in. Yeah. And immediately, Casey drops down on his knees. I mean, it, with all the hatred of the fighting going on, mm-hmm. that's still his dad. Even as, as much as he disagrees with a lot of the things his dad has done in the past and what his dad stands for, that's still his dad. Yep. Um, so he's consoling his dad who's been, who's been shot, and it's not looking good for him. Definitely not. Yeah, yeah. And then... Um, Leo's down as well. So you got Hun down and Casey's huddled over him and you've got uh, Bishop over top of Leo here and Bishop's about to kill him. And this is where I was a little confused. Can you explain this next page to me a little bit? Was this a clone slash that did all this? Yeah. So what I'm thinking happened here, dude, maybe I'll talk to Tom or somebody later on at the signing and see if they can clarify for me. But what I think happened here is Bishop starts saying, He's like, fool, I guess it's up to me to see your vision through. And I think like he's he's thinking about his dad or, you know, yeah. he's kind of off his rocker a little bit. You know what I mean? Maybe more so than usual. Like, I feel like when Raph attacked him, he started kind of became unhinged a little bit. Mm-hmm. Like, you know, when he was like laying there and he's like, monster, monster, like he's bishop seems a little off right and then he's kind of talking to himself like it's up to me to see your vision through dad and they they show the the slash clone kind of having this almost like moment of recognition or like moment of realization like something yeah like something's clicking with it or something like that and then it almost looks like or or the way i'm taking this is bishop is saying this to leo but he's looking at it like this panel down below, the reason it's kind of green and kind of um, mm-hmm. 
you know, kind of ghostly looking, if you want to call it that, is I think he's looking at Leo, but seeing his dad. And he's saying, right, I'm seeing right. your vision through. And he thinks he's, he thinks he's going to kill Leo, right? But he's, mm-hmm. he's like stomping. I don't know, man. It's, it feels like there's some kind of weird, like memory kind of glitch thing happening where the clone might have some kind of thing from Slash in it that like he sees there's some kind of memory from Slash of Bishop using him to step on his dad. So the clone, the Slash clone has this like moment of like, like I said, like some kind of memory glitch or something. And he yeah. goes to step on Bishop and, and he does more than goes to. He does. He absolutely just crushes Bishop. Yeah. And Bishop then, Pancake. Yeah, absolutely, dude. And the, <laughs> the sound effect, like the automatopoeia they use for when he's stepped on, it's oh yeah, S P L I C H. So I took that as like splitch, and I was just like, oh, <laughs> it, it like kind of made me cringe a little bit, like imagining that sound. But um, even Leo is looking at the slash clone, and he's like questioning it. He's like slash. And the Slash clone says, bad little man. I don't think I would, I'm not going to say I would hate it, but I, I wouldn't really love if they kind of like use this Slash clone to like bring Slash back, like let, let him rest in peace. You know what I mean? Yeah, I agree with that. Yeah. But if they spun it in this way where there was some kind of like leftover memory thing that was ignited by Bishop, like saying whatever he was saying and it kind of triggered the slash clone, you know what I mean? Like, uh, again, the best way I can think of it. And again, I'm, I'm like making this up is like, there's like a residual memory there that kind of glitched out. And the slash clone was reenacting this thing that it saw in its memory. Right. And right, it saw right. slash crushing Bishop's dad. So it crushed Bishop, like reenacting this thing. That's that's the best explanation I got for you, dude. And wow, that's that's better than I I came up with. That that's good stuff. <laughs> I mean, that's that's really the only thing I've got. And if if that is the case, it's really cool. And I'm I'm glad that we're here on these pages. We might we might get derailed a little bit from the from the recap, but this is something I specifically wanted to talk about here with uh, with Bishop's death and Hun's death, and with Bishop. Again, to go back to Game of Thrones. Did you watch Game of Thrones, Rob? Oh, yes, I did. Okay, cool. Finished it off. So this moment with Bishop, uh, and I don't know if you'll agree, but let me explain. This, this moment with Bishop for me felt like Cersei's death in the last season. And what I mean oh, by that, interesting. What I mean by that is that in Game of Thrones, spoilers for anybody who hasn't seen Game of Thrones, you're, you're wanting Cersei to meet her end at the end of a Stark sword. At least that, for me, that's what I wanted. I wanted Arya to take her out, or I wanted Jon to take her out, or even Sansa, like whoever, you know what I mean? But I wanted one of the wolves to end this lion, right? But what ends up taking Cersei out is Cersei. Her arrogance her facade of being this like confident, unbeatable force. She literally stayed in, she stayed in her castle because she was being stubborn and putting on this act that like she was this strong leader and couldn't be defeated until it was too late 
and the going wasn't good anymore. She didn't go when the going was good, and she got crushed by the castle that she lived in. She literally, her world came down around her and ended her. And that's what I feel like this, it's very thematically the same here with Bishop, where he was so afraid and so antagonistic towards the what he deemed monsters that he became a monster and he created right. monsters to fight yeah monsters. exactly and what ended up being the end of him one of the monsters he created and so it felt very much like this kind of full circle thing of this is what this dude fears this is this you know act that he's been putting on this is his you know bad energy that he's been putting out into the world and now it is literally coming back around to step on him. Yeah, and that's a great comparison because I don't know about you, um, but like when I saw that in, in Game of Thrones, I almost felt bad for her. And that's, you know, I think that was almost intentional. It's like, she did some horrific things, just like Bishop has, mm-hmm. but toward the very end, you know, if things have come full circle, he's thinking about his dad in his dying moments, and, you know, that's it. Mm-hmm. The, the the very own thing that he created is the very thing that that destroys him, yep. and I, you know I kind of had mixed feelings about it. I was like, well, I shouldn't feel bad, but I kind of feel bad for him. <laughs> yeah, I uh, you know you're you're a bigger man than I am in that case because I I was like, thank whoever. <laughs> I am so I'm so glad this dude just got stepped on by this clone. I'm so glad <laughs> that he is out of here. Like I said, I I would have preferred to see one of the turtles do it. Um, mm-hmm. I would have preferred to see, like, you know, maybe even it would never happen because Mikey's not that dude. But, you know, seeing yeah. Mikey, like, get revenge for Slash somehow would have been cool. But, again, that's me projecting, like, what I what I wanted to see, not what maybe is, like, the strongest thematic, you know, kind of ending. And I think they really, again, Tom really nailed it with the, you know, the monster that bishop created being his end and then my thoughts with hun's death so are we are we to take that he died like him and casey right here like these are their last moments like he he fades out right Um, right right and i mean actually you know they kind of they they hit the nail on the head right here because they're laying there uh or he's laying there casey's talking to him and hun says you know don't care about the others just you and then there's a right. little, um, like a narration box that says death is an ending. So I think they, they're letting us know like, yeah, he's for sure a goner. You know what, man? I, in a, in a book, in an, in a single issue, you know, issue 100 being so much about redemption with, with Splinter and Shredder. I don't know if I needed to see Hun be redeemed. I'm, sure. I, I'm not, not mad at it. Not like, you know, bummed about the ending for him at all. I like seeing him sacrifice himself for his son. Like you said, that kind of, if anything was going to turn me around on the guy, it would have been that, you know, but Mm -hmm. I, I almost feel as if first off, I feel like maybe the stronger moment, uh, besides him, like him protecting Casey makes 100% sense. I'm, I'm not going to sit here and say that this is like bad writing or wasn't, you know, well executed because it absolutely was. But I think maybe a more powerful moment would have been him dying to protect somebody else. And by somebody else, I mean one of the turtles, right? Like we know, oh, sure. we know Hun's going to protect Casey, right? Um, but seeing him like step out of his way or, or come out of his, 
uh, usual character to maybe protect Jenica or Leonardo or something would have maybe been like a stronger exclamation point on that idea. But also yeah, to, just, yeah. to go back to my original thought, like I think Casey and Hun's arc and their like, you know, characterization in these books have been really good. And it's been really cool seeing these guys go back and forth. Um, you know, as a guy who sometimes has a great relationship with my dad and then other times has a, you know, very much less than great relationship with my dad. Their their relationship has been, you know, really important to me throughout this book and has been really cool. But sometimes like, you know, it would have it would have been almost like if they tried to spin Bishop, you know, if they'd have tried to give him some kind of like redeeming quality before he died and was like, some guys just got to be the bad guys. You know what I yeah, mean? Yeah, I completely um, agree. Yeah. So, and, and then going back to your thought with that, like with Hunt, I, I'm kind of with you in the fact that like he didn't need a full like 180 redemption. I think that it was just, for me, he he's kind of a great character and, and he mm-hmm. died a great character. Yeah. You know, it wasn't like he just went completely protagonist on us at the very end. It, right. He He had his own sense of morals, what he thought were right, which are, you know, vastly different from, you know, what we would think is right. But in the end, you know, the most important thing to him was his family. And mm-hmm. uh, that's just the way it was going to be. So, yeah, we with you there. Yeah, man. So then we we switch gears. And I thought I thought this was really well done. I don't know if you picked up on this, Rob, but it was it's basically like the the first because this is this issues 48 pages, I think. And it feels like basically the first half is dealing with the city at war stuff specifically hob bishop mm-hmm. you know foot clan epf stuff and then the second half we get into the more mystical stuff and i thought that was well done uh because i if they were jumping back and forth between that the whole time i feel like it would have been a little bit much um so we right. see glimpses here and there throughout the early goings but basically from here we get kitsune talking to the headless version of shredder and she's saying you know death is an ending and a beginning are you prepared for both beloved old death new life and we've got karai still fighting ocho and kitsune tells the dragon lord or takeshi tatsuo or um shredder i don't know exactly who she's talking to but she says um you've got the kirino ken you know burning inside you send it home we see this kind of ghostbustery Independence Day <laughs> kind of blast up into the sky above the city. Um, really epic. That's a great description. Uh, thank you. Again, just like really big scale here, man. Like this epic just, excuse me, this issue just feels epic from this point on. We've got Karai watching this happen and Kitsune turns to Ocho, tells her basically, she knocks out Karai, tells her to bring her here and she tells Ocho to rejoice your imprisonment is at an end and i thought this was pretty cool we see yeah um you know the sword has been returned so kitsune is basically saying like ocho you've protected the sword you've brought it back to where it's supposed to be so now like your curses is, is over and we see the like demon kind of facade of ocho break away um this like demon mole thing breaks away and there's like this little old ancient lady inside and she's just like free at last and, yeah. and some some really cool like parallel stuff here. We see Ocho crumbling into dust, or or what you could say she's like crumbling, kind of fading into ash. And then Kitsune says, "And like a phoenix, 
the dragon rises. So I thought that was some cool like visual play there and some cool wordplay as we're seeing somebody kind of break into like dust and then, you know, because phoenixes rise from the ashes. So, and that dragon is pretty sweet. Whoever drew that, I don't know dude. if that's the Alienist or Santa Luco or Watcher, but I, it is amazing. It looks to me very much like Dave Walker, and it is an epic dragon. <laughs> the sweet dragon. Um, yeah, I, I'm sorry if I was in one of those buildings and I see that on the ship. Well, yeah, I? it's time to leave. Yep. <laughs> if I'm if I'm in my cubicle at work and that comes up out of the rooftop and or ground in the, you know, building that I'm next to. I'm like, well, guys, it's been nice. It was a good run. I quit. <laughs> I'm, <laughs> I'm leaving. <laughs> uh, I'll, uh, I'll let you take over here for, or from here, bud. But yeah, that, that page of that. And just, I don't think I really noticed this before, dude, but the scale of the dragon, like, look at, yeah. how, look at how small Kitsune and uh, Shredder are by that little throne. And just look at the size of that dragon, dude. In insane. <clears throat> oh, I know, I know. It, 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 it's unbelievable when you look at the how scary this actually is. I mean, this is to me the the major threat here. And uh, and then we get a cutaway, and this is something I've been kind of waiting for because Old Hob was one of my favorite characters. I was like, what is he going to do with all this? Mm-hmm. And I was, I'm not disappointed. I I just oh. He's been one of those characters for me. He's been, you know, a roller coaster character. Yeah. There's been times I've really been pulling for him. There's been times I absolutely hate him. And this is one of the times I don't like the guy at all. Um, yep. <laughs> when he, when he basically he does his part, he unleashes that mutagen bomb, and uh, now he's got an army of mutants that they've huddled together in their kind of uh, mutanimal HQ. And uh, there's a funny little uh, part with Pigeon Pete. I think he's cooking for everybody, all the new mutants. He's like, I got friends. Mm-hmm. But Sally, kind of the voice of reason, I think. Very um, much she's so. like, I can't believe you did this. You know, we have to help Splinter now. I mean, this is the only thing we could do that's uh, the right thing right now, the next right thing. And Hob pretty much tells her, look, we don't have time for that. We have our hands full with this, this mutant army. This is what we're going to do right now. Mm-hmm. And basically kind of just... That, you know, bows out of it and says, "Hey, we've got our own. We've got our own problems." Yeah. So I, I can sense some major tension between Sally and probably some of the other mutanimals. Um, I think Hobbs kind of stepped too far, obviously, and um, you know, the callous side of him has really come out. Yeah, we uh, we don't see Mondo in this issue, but I think if there's going to be some mutanimal defecting, I would imagine it's going to be. I agree. Sally and Mondo are going to bow out of there. Um, yeah. Also, think it's interesting that Hob is like, yeah, we got to train these new recruits, and Sally's like, uh, you mean these people you mutated against yeah. their will? Like, I I can't imagine a world where these people just like are like, oh yeah, sure, you turned us all into you know animal monster things. We'll fight for you. Cool, hooray! Yeah. Like, I really <laughs> think Hob is is kind of misleading himself here. Like, make having these people fight for him as like a willing army or fighting force i don't think is i can't see that playing out that way but yeah please continue oh yeah yeah and if i were to say like if one storyline that might happen in 2020 i could see hob being, hob being the uh the, one of the biggest villains in oh for in sure a story arc, for sure, for sure um, i think the turtles are going to go after him for sure but then we get a cutaway to michelangelo fighting Koya and bludgeon and then all of a sudden and i love this part mikey 
he's trying his best to protect the orphans. I mean, basically, it's just between Koya Bludgeon and Michelangelo and Donatello, and then there's the orphans in the room. And all of a sudden, because of the catastrophic catastrophic events that have happened above, mm-hmm. the, the roof caves in. So Michelangelo dives in front of the orphans, and, um, and, and I think this is the part where he saves some of the orphans or holds up the rubble. Yeah, okay, next page. That's exactly what happens. Yep. Um, he covers them, uh, covers the rubble up, and he helps the orphans to escape. And, and it's kind of interesting here because I didn't see where this was going to go. I had no idea that this was, is, so worried this was for the Mikey, plan for the orphans. <laughs> Me too. I was like, are they going to kill Mikey? Because I, I was like, okay, this is this is a big one. This is issue 100. Mm-hmm. Could they? Would they kill a turtle? I would was they? so worried, dude. Because just just the way I I felt a little bit better when we got the little bubble that says "uh guys." Because I was like, okay, he must he is good enough to talk, right? Right. But I was like, <laughs> we please do not turn the page and have like some rubble with like some metal like pipe or rebar or something like sticking through Michelangelo. I was like, oh gosh, oh, I was so yeah. I was almost so afraid to turn the like page. A mortal wound. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Yeah, what they did with the kids here, I'll let you continue. But yeah, with the sending the kids to, um, to where they sent them was very interesting, and can definitely see that playing a part in the future. But also a quick note, I love that they did this with Michelangelo because, as as all the readers would probably know, is you follow this book, and for a long time, Mikey has been harping on the guys about like, why are we only about protecting ourselves? Why are we only fighting? you know, our own battles. Like we're just, we're so wrapped up in, in being these, you know, this secret ninja clan who fights other secret ninja clans and mutants and blah, blah, blah. Like we should be superheroes. We should be protecting people and fighting for people and blah, blah, blah. And here he is basically pulling off a Mikey version of like some Superman stuff, like holding up <laughs> this rubble so these kids don't get crushed. I was like, this is, again, just great writing, great like payoff for Mikey being you know, the, the emotional core of, yeah. of this team and, uh, Michael Dylan is like, this is definitely him drawing this stuff at this point. Knocked it out, man. Great, great looking pages, but sorry to cut you off. No, no, that's great stuff. And I, I wholeheartedly agree. He's been another kind of rock in the series in, in being the heart and soul of, of the group. Um, yeah, great stuff here. So basically, um, Mikey, he saves the orphans, and the Donatello. Oh, shell shock! Hey there, listeners. Just a brief interjection to talk about the sound issues that you guys can clearly hear going on there. Not sure what was going on with our phones. I don't know if it was a connection thing on my end or a connection thing on Rob's end. Doesn't really matter. But I do apologize for the muffled sound kind of distortion over Rob's voice. And if you guys noticed and or remember way back earlier in the podcast, it sounded like somebody was having a wrestling match in the dumpsters behind my house. So whatever was going on out there, I'm not sure. But hope you guys are enjoying this episode. Hope you guys are enjoying the recap and breakdown that Rob and I are uh, delivering here. But we will get back to it. Thanks again for listening. Here is the rest of Issue 100's Breakdown with Rob. Enjoy. Yeah, great stuff here. So basically, Mikey, he saves the orphans, and then Donatello gets a command from Harold and Libby. He says, loud and clear, I'm here, Harold and Libby. 
they were not, not too earlier from the EPF headquarters. Uh, are the children ready? This is Honeycutt, I, I think, saying this. And Donatello says they are ready, uh, thanks to Mikey. And basically, they open up a portal that ends up transporting the orphans to Planet Neutrino. They kind of tease it. They're like, they're like, you get to meet a real princess. And the kids are like, really? Yeah. And that's when I knew, oh, that's what I'm doing. And yeah, I thought that was that was a pretty neat setup. Although the epilogue is going to make things interesting there. Mm-hmm. And yeah, that pretty much takes us where we're at uh, here, back at the rooftop again. Yeah, man, back on the rooftop where we are again switching into just full blown mystical, spiritual fantasy. This issue is crazy, dude. Like this issue would have been crazy if it was just a bunch of ninjas fighting a bunch of other ninjas, fighting a bunch of SWAT dudes with like <laughs> some crazy slash clones, right? But we go right. from like one level of crazy, like we're we're at level one and it just kicks it up to it's crazy squared. We are right. we're now just full Back blown. Yeah, dude. We are watching <laughs> a dragon come out of the ground. And now there are demons and like gargoyles and like beasts coming up from whatever spirit realm or hell, if you want to call it that. And you've got this epic shot of Oroku Saki's headless body, again, like Ghost Rider Shredder. And he's just standing in the middle of this crowd of things that are just like, kill the mongrel, flayer alive. And you're just like, this book is so metal. (laughs) (laughs) Things just got so crazy. But. Kitsune is now, she's now trying to sacrifice Kurai to to close the deal. And I just want to kind of take a second to reinforce the idea of like how much magical stuff is going on here, where she had to have uh, Shredder's, uh, she's missing Shredder's head, so she can't like complete that vessel. But she's freed the dragon because the Kirino Ken was put back into the body and like released into whatever, however that energy was released, right? We know mm-hmm. that from Shredder and Hell, again, spoilers for everybody out there, we know from Shredder and Hell that she had to, Kitsune had to kill her sister, Akka, and she said that she, the, the blood, Akka's blood would forge the path for the dragon to escape. And now to like completely open the gate. Uh, or basically to seal the deal, so to speak, she's going to kill Karai, and that will fully complete. And I'm just like, man, we must be dealing with some next level magic here because by the time this is all said and done, like three or four people are going to have had to die to make this happen. So right. No kidding. It is, there's a lot of sacrifices going on, a lot of magic in play. And right as Kitsune is going to stab Karai, she stopped by Alapex. Um, which again, full circle, a lot of arcs are pulled together and, and night, nice little neat little bows put on things where we know Kitsune has played a big part in Alapex's past. And here she is stopping Kitsune from, uh, killing Karai. She runs off with her and basically Kitsune tells the Ghost Rider Shredder, like, hey, go get her because we need that sacrifice. And that's when all the demons come into play. And then you turn the page and you cut over to Splinter showing up with his bowling ball bag. Um, (laughs) And uh, he starts, like, telepathically communicating with his sons. And now I can't tell. 
I don't know if this art is familiar to you, Rob, but this was the one page that stands out to me as like, this is definitely somebody different here. This is not, this is not Dave Walker. This is not Michael Dialinus. Um, there's, there's somebody yeah, different Yeah, I noticed here. that too. Yeah, with the, with the profile of Splinter, I was like, I don't know who draws Splinter like that. I'm not, I'm not sure who that was. Yeah. So we get a little moment of him basically telepathically communicating with the turtles and Casey is like, hey, need you guys up on the rooftop because basically there's a giant dragon here and we need to, you know, get this show on the road. So yeah. <laughs> uh, everybody boogies up to the roof and it's so funny. Angel's like, wow, you weren't joking about that dragon. And it's like, uh, yeah, no, <laughs> no shell, you know what I mean? Pun intended, but like there's literally uh, a dragon breathing fire now and the turtles are just like, all right, like this is, this is what we're in for. We got to battle some demons and, uh, Splinter and Alapex are already fighting demons and stuff, and the boys and and their homies join the fray. And uh, again, Rob, I'll let you pick up from here, but things are oh yeah, it's crazy. Yeah, yeah, I remember at this point, I'm thinking, oh man, how they gonna wrap this up? Yeah, so the girls, yeah, they're, they're holding off the demons, and then we get this conversation um, intermittently throughout it between uh, Kitsune and um, Karai. He goes, I will attend to more important matters. And Cry is just now finally coming to, realizing what just happened. And then we get a cutaway of the turtles on the ground floor, I guess, uh, talking to each other, trying to, uh, Splinter's trying to explain everything that's happened. He says, Kitsune is attempting to raise the dragon, my son, using Rokusaki as her arcane vessel. We must stop her. Stop her. Dante goes, how? He's like, well, that, that falls to me. You know, yours is to hold off these soulless demons and their imposter general so I can send them all home. And that's kind of what's going to set up what's going to happen at the end here. Mm -hmm. So on the next page, we get a cutaway to Kitsune, and, and she's got her dagger drawn. She's about to kill Karai, and Alapex jumps in again. But Kitsune zaps Alapex, and um, that's when Karai tries to attack Kitsune, you know, when, when her back's turned here. And Kitsune's having none of that. She, she's up to her trick. She goes, ridiculous girl, my ultimate fate has never been yours to decide. Your fate, however has always been sealed in your own blood. Mm -hmm. All right. So she's about to cut her there. And yeah, once again, some more fighting here, but then we get this interesting scene where Splinter is during the fight. And I don't know how he was able to concentrate like that to, I guess, how do they call it? Um, meditate or go into the astral plane. And uh, talk like astral to projection. Yeah. 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 Here. And, uh, let's see, what does he say? I'm trying to remember. Let's see. He talks to Saki and he says, uh, we're not exactly using dice as weapons either. Let's see. He's talking to Saki and Yoshi's with Tang Shen here, correct? Yep, that's, uh, that's Tang Shen and Oroku Saki and Hamato Yoshi. And again, it's one of the, just the cool moments of seeing them in their astral forms where it's like truly them, you know. Mm -hmm. Oroku Saki, not the Shredder. Hamato Yoshi, not Splinter. And just really, really well done by Dave, really well done by Dave Walker here. And just, I love how it's like purple and blue you yeah. know, stacked or kind of like kind of contrasting against the orange and red. Like it just kind of sets everything apart here, but yeah, really cool stuff. Yeah. Yeah. And the conversation they have is, is, is kind of powerful too. You kind of see the bond here. And uh, Yoshi says, I can bring you back Saki. together. We can stop the dragon. If only you are willing, but we must act now. But the balance, Yoshi, 
it must be maintained always. This is Saki saying this. One must fall. Yoshi knows this for the other to rise. And then we get a cutaway here where Alopex is telling uh, Cry not to do what she's going to do. And then uh, it says, uh, back to the dream, it says, indeed, a life for a life. There is no other way. But how can I deserve this? So many lives I've destroyed. Yeah, this is an interesting part here because Shred is basically saying, I don't deserve this. I don't deserve to have life again. I've done so much evil. Mm, but yeah. then uh, Shiyoshi basically says, well, this is the one good thing you can do. And it's a pretty pretty darn good thing. Yep. So I'll we, let you take that, man. Okay. So, so yeah, we basically have this like very, very charming, very serious, very like emotional scene between Saki and Yoshi going on while in the midst of this battle where we see, you know, Jenica and Casey and Alapex again fighting demons. Like I can only imagine what's going through these guys' heads as they're probably used to fighting ninjas and street gangs and purple dragons and so on and so forth. And here they are literally battling like the forces of hell as Kitsune stands over Karai with this giant dragon looming in the background. He's breathing fire. And then we get this really cool shot of Splinter with, you know, Oroku Saki's like skull head floating in front of him. And, And this is where, this is basically where I was about to, uh, had to, had to bust out the tissues, dude. We get Splinter again, like telepathically communicating with the boys. And he says, my children, we have little time. Um, yeah. And I'm going to go ahead. I'm going to, I'm going to just read Splinter's whole thing here. And at oh, first, please do. I kind of read this in the, I don't know if you did this too, Rob, but I went, I went left page, right page, and then realized I'd read it wrong. And it actually, these two pages are treated as a splash. We're going, you know, left yeah. from, from right across the top panel. But Um, He says, you must listen now. Please forgive me. I have failed you. By allowing my own doubts and fears to rule my actions, I have tainted my honor, as well as the loving trust that is the very essence of our family. And family is what you are to me, each and every one. And while he's while he's speaking this, we're getting little glimpses like we get Casey and Alapex kind of catching like, oh, man, we're being like spoken to. And then you know, Mikey turns to Leo and he's like, Leo? And Jenica sees it and you, you know, get this look in her face like, oh man, like, you know, they, they kind of really drive home that like she's part of the family because he says, oh, I'm glad you caught that. I did too. Yeah. He says each and every one right on the panel of Jenica. So really driving that home. And then we cut down a panel to the midsection of the, the pages and Donnie's deflecting an axe bow or an axe blow, excuse me, from some demon. And Splinter says, I love you all. Raph has tears in his eyes. Absolutely, like, destroyed me. Mm-hmm. And then we get this cool, like, panel break of the skull, like, flying through the air. And Splinter continues, And I know now, no matter how much I have wished otherwise, there will always be dangers for our family to face. Just as I know, like a chain, a family is only as strong as its weakest link. And for far too long, I have been the weak link. That ends here and now. Farewell, my strong, precious children. My pride and faith in you knows no bounds. I know in my heart you will persevere. This was my opportunity to correct my wrongs. The next will be yours, Orokusaki. And with that, first off, those three panels of Splinter saying that, it's like him sitting somewhere meditating and he's got like tears rolling down his face. I was like, oh my goodness. I was like, dude... 
this was one of those like I was, you know, stuttered breath, like chivering, uh, quivering chin, like <laughs> yeah. know, reading through the page, like, oh man, I can't, can't cry all over my, you know, brand new issue of, of Ninja Turtles. Don't want to soak it's these pages. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Exactly. Um, but we see Saki's skull reach the shredder body and Splinter says, you are a hollow vessel no more. And he's talking to Oroku Saki. <laughs> Kitsune sees this happening and she's, you know, concerned. She's like beloved. And then we get this huge blast, which I'm assuming probably emanated from the, the now complete body of Oroku Saki. uh, Now that his Mm -hmm. head is back there, this huge like energy blast that almost completely, you know, covers the dragon blasts up into the sky again, like big, just huge energy thing moving clouds like super epic like totally imagining this in like a movie or something rob and it just yeah like it would absolutely be like the grandest scale ninja turtles movie we'd ever seen but super cool scene and then we turn the page the dragon come you want to take over from here rob oh sure yeah the, the dragon he comes to blast blast the dragon and kills him you know in one one kind of devastating blow Oh man, it just it just the way it it hangs limply over one of the skyscrapers. You just see yeah. the magnitude of how big this dragon was. Yeah, and it's powerful. And then we, <laughs> Leo goes, I think we won. And then Mike <laughs> goes, Where's father? You know. And and then we see Saki holding the body of Splinter. You know. Such and it's just an like what epic page, dude. Yeah, yeah. And it's just like what was foreshadowed earlier. You know that that one good life would be taken while another was was uh, restored mm-hmm. and this is a new part for me well first of all you know that is a great spectacle you know i love that shot but what i don't understand is kitsune did she love i mean i i, I guess she did love i mean because shredder and hell teased it she did love saki but did she love him with ulterior motives right and that that one's a hard one for me to figure out kitsune that was definitely but, uh, that's definitely something I want to talk about once we finish up, because um, yeah, I feel like yeah. that's going to be a big part of the future. But I was I was a little curious slash concerned with that too. But we'll right, we'll, we'll right. get to that. Yeah, and then um, we get uh, the second last page. Um, we get the turtles kind of hover around Splinter, you know, who's, who's fallen, and nobody. Casey Alpex through there, and it says, "And with a night for a night." And here's an interesting part. The Rat King sitting back with all his rats, having a glass of wine, watching mm-hmm. all this. He goes, the Rat King takes the Fox Queen. I do so love this game, my pets. But then I love the last part. Yeah, so it's beautiful. pretty powerful. Yep. Yeah. You want to describe it, my friend? I will. I'll, I'll take us home. Uh, all right. So we, we close on Rat King, and then the bottom third of the page is now Hamato Yoshi in, in the dream. Um, but we do have a cutaway of Kitsune and Shredder, and there's a little narration box that says, and so balance is restored. The dragon warrior and his bride are reunited. And then we cut over to the dream, and Tang Shen is telling, and you are returned to me, my beloved Yoshi. He says, Shen, is it true? Is this real? And she says, as real as any dream can be, my husband. And he said, but how? How do I deserve this? Which is a, an interesting little echo of Oroku Saki asking the same thing a page or two ago, like, you know, yeah. how, how do I deserve this? And, and she tells him, because in the end, you kept your sacred promise to me, Yoshi. 
you protected our children. You banished darkness and you found the light. You found love. And at long last, we can truly begin. And A, this was just beautiful because it was beautiful and perfect. Yep. And the, you protected our children and all that. And then, dude, the the last the white page that has that's yeah. definitely Mateus Santaloco. Um, yeah, with Yoshi and Tang Shen, and it's all ethereal and dreamy looking. So freaking perfect. But that's perfect. That's a great way to end. I don't know if you picked up on this though, dude. And I'm now ashamed of myself because I didn't write down where it came from. But the and at long last we can truly begin. That comes from. Oh, I know exactly what it's from. It is from issue four, where the turtles stop Hob and his gang from beating up Raph and Casey, and they're reunited with Raph. Oh, wow. And then, like, I don't think it's from that specific moment, but it's after that moment. I think it's in issue five, when when Splinter gives the turtles their colored headbands, and he gives Raphael his size, and he tells them, like, you know, we now we're we're a family again. We're reunited, and he says, "At long last, we can truly begin." And I was like, "Wow, what a dude, callback! Wow, what a freaking callback, dude!" Like again, <laughs> just Tom Waltz just laying it all out there, knocking it out of the park. So many like closed circles, yeah. So many doors just 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 gently pulled shut and you know chapters closed it was so beautiful this this last page man like an, another really cool thing i thought they did at the top of the page where the turtles and everybody are around splinter is one little thing is alapex has her hand on raph so that's very charming and cool kind of again hinting yeah. at their, like connection and then there's they didn't include kitsune and shredder in this shot it's only the family it's only the people that Splinter was talking to. And I thought that was cool. Just really, again, you know, Shredder puts his body down and then it really emphasizes like that's who the family is right there. It's not, right. it's not just the turtles and Splinter. It's not just the four brothers. It is the four brothers, Angel, Alapex, Jenica, Casey, like just really cool moment. And then of course you get, you know, the little cutaways where, Rat King is being Rat King. He's basically the the Loki of the TMNT universe. Right. And then again, man, that close was just so dope. Perfect. I I'm yeah. hoping that one day when when the page when the issue 100 original pages go for sale, if they go for sale, I'm really really hoping that that uh, Hamato Yoshi and Tang Shen page is not like nine hundred dollars because I want to own it. <laughs> Um, <laughs> It'd be so cool to get the guys to like the uh, Tom Waltz, Kevin Eastman, uh, Bobby Kern, the whole IDW crew to sign that page, you oh, know, all around dude, it. Yeah, because it's just it's totally perfect for signing. That's a good idea. I'm actually I might rip that idea off and uh, uh, and go do that <laughs> today. Good. But um, but yeah, man, let's uh, I'll let you handle this this last kind of little epilogue teaser page, and then we will wrap this thing up, dude. Oh, sounds good. Sounds good. Um, well, here at the epilogue here we get a car way to Planet Neutrino. And this is a modest city, the Royal Palace. And the orphans are there. And Honeycutt kind of gives us this really interesting detail we never knew about. And he says, 
It's just a good thing that they've become comfortable here so quickly, Libby. Sending any of you back to Earth would be a dangerous proposition at this moment. I was recently tasked by the King Zenter with archiving all data pertaining to the trial of General Crane, uh, witness testimony, evidence records, etc. It was during this process that I made a most disturbing discovery about the very nature of the Etrons themselves and how they came to dominate their planet. And as it turns out, Utrams are parasitic organisms. And like and like the children we've we've uh, brought here, they too are extremely resilient. And you see uh, a letterhead who we hadn't seen in a little while. Nope. He's feeling extremely sick and just completely distraught. And he huddles over, he's covering his stomach, and all of a sudden you get the, he, he, we get this wild look in his eye. And he finally removes his arm from his stomach, and we see the face of Krang. So all that time, we thought he was dead. All that time, gone. we were like, wow, that was shocking. He was just growing in that vessel. And now we've got not that man-baby robot body, but we've got <laughs> a leatherhead head, uh, version of Krang here, which is awesome. Really cool stuff. It is awesome and terrifying. <laughs> yes, yes, terrifying in so many levels. <laughs> yes, I am very interested and very, very interested to see where that whole thread goes and very concerned for our buddy Leatherhead because he, to me, is always throughout the 2012 show and throughout the, you know, the comic books, the IDW books, Leatherhead is such an interesting dude who's always like a great side character who's wrapped up with you know, the Krang and all this stuff. So, so seeing him now with literally with Krang like grown into him or, or, you know, become part of him. I was just like, Oh man, Leatherhead. Yeah. I don't know if we're going to get out of this one. Yeah, man. So, so that ladies and gentlemen is that, that is TMNT issue 100 from start to finish. Rob, Thanks for helping me recap, man. Listeners at home, I hope you guys enjoyed that. We're now going to spend a few minutes kind of just wrapping everything up, talking about some potential stuff for the future, and then, Rob, I will let you get on to your day, my friend. That sounds great, man. So, yeah, I guess first things first, <sighs> just, like, I guess this is all I've got to say. Whoa! Like, <laughs> that issue. Perfectly said. Right, right. That issue was insane, man. A like we talked about, just a, a perfect way to close this this first one hundred chapter book, you know, if you want to consider it that. Just a, a great ending. So many good callbacks, so many good moments, you know, payoffs and things that just if you've read this story from jump, from issue one to now just a great way to pay everything off a great way to there is a there's a phrase um that my buddy uh bobby hundreds says you guys might might be familiar with a clothing company called the hundreds it's run by my buddy uh bobby and his friend ben rob i sent you a link to an article that i'd written for the hundreds that's a clothing brand so bobby has this thing that he says they put it on some t-shirts and stuff but he says looking back but moving forward and it's like this thing that he kind of come came up with that's supposed to kind of symbolize or represent like you know respecting your past appreciating your past like knowing what your past has done for you but not 
being stuck in the past. You're looking back, but moving forward. You're learning from things and taking it into the future. And that to me was like the perfect summation of issue 100. We, issue 100, not we, like I was part of it. The creative team for issue 100 looked to the past 99 issues and brought together and paid off threads from all that content. Months after months after months of comic books, years after years of comic books, paid it off in this one issue while also looking forward to what the future can bring. So like Rob said in the beginning of the show and like we talked about a few times throughout, tip of the hat to Kevin Eastman, Tom Waltz, Bobby Cronow, Rhonda Patterson, Dave Walker, Michael Dialinus, the other artists who contributed in the ways they did, Sean Lee, absolutely stellar issue of Ninja Turtles. Man, I was just absolutely impressed with the way they pulled that off. Like like we talked about throughout the course of the issue, I had a couple little griefs uh, or grievances here and there, but nothing that made me sit back and dislike the article. I was just absolutely just floored and impressed and appreciative. And Rob, what'd you think, my man? Oh, I, I can only echo what you said, man. Uh, it was, this issue itself was just incredible. Um, there, there were some things, I think there were so many heartfelt moments with so much chaos. And like, how do you do that in one, one issue? <laughs> I don't know how you do that, but you know, they, they found a way to do it. You know, like I said, that rascal found a way to do it. Yep. Uh, and I, I have, I mean, I think it caps off just an incredible journey. And I was thinking about it. We were referencing some early issues of the IDW run. And at the time I was reading those, I thought they were the greatest thing that was, that was out at the time. And, and, and then now I think about it, I'm like, wow, those early issues were great, but I think the series only got better. Absolutely, more and more things dude. that happen over time that just, wow, I, I didn't think it could ever get better. Or I don't know, maybe that's the cynical side of us. We're like, well, how long are they going to sustain this? Now, how long mm-hmm. is this going to be interesting? But Absolutely. my goodness, they found a way to do it. They totally and I did. think, oh yeah, I think, I think we're going to be talking about Tom Waltz's run and the IDW core that was involved in issues one through a hundred. I think we're going to be talking about this run for many years to come. I, I think this is going to be an epic part of Ninja Turtles history that, that we will go back to years from now and say, wow, this was some of the best stuff that ever came out uh, uh, for our beloved turtles. Dude, I <laughs> could not agree more. I was actually just talking to my buddy TJ a few days ago. Again, shout out TJ. We were talking about how I feel that this series is just criminally overlooked in the comic book industry. I agree. And I think that's for many reasons. I think, you know, because it's not DC or Marvel, a lot of comic fans don't pay attention to it because Ninja Turtles kind of has a reputation for being quote unquote for kids, you know, serious comic book people don't pay attention. And then I think for other like types of comic book fans because it's IDW. They look at this turtles book as like, Oh, that's just a, another licensed IDW title, like my little pony or transformers or whatever. And not only a, are their transformers books good as well, but I think to dismiss this book because it's a licensed comic book is absolutely insane, dude. I, I completely agree. This book, my buddy TJ 
he's a comic book guru, dude. He's like an encyclopedia of comic books. You ask him, like, hey, man, when did Spider-Man switch into this costume? He'll be like, oh, this issue that came out in this month of this year. And you're like, oh, snap. Like, he, he's like, he's that <laughs> level of comic book fan, right? He's he, like the Alexa of your comic needs. Exactly, exactly. <laughs> TJ talks about this Turtles book with such, like, respect and reverie that it, like... That it, that it almost takes me aback because I'm slightly biased because I'm a Turtles fan and like yeah. I'm, a, I'm a Turtles fan first and then a comic book fan. Right. Right. And, um, this Turtles book actually got me back into comic books, but isn't that incredible? It's, yeah. It's that alone is impressive to say, right? Like that's like good praise for the book, but right. TJ put this very bluntly. He's like, dude, at its worst, this comic book is is a good action comic book at its worst. It's just that it's just a good action comic book at its right. best. It is one of the best superhero books on shelves. It, I, yeah, he's like, dude, eight years of just quality comic books. It's, it's very rarely has it taken a dive in quality in terms of story, in terms of art, you know, I was going to say earlier uh, to kind of like when you were talking about that the series has only gotten better for me, dude, like there's kind of these ebbs and flows in the Turtles run in terms of like energy or impact or like the the scale of the story. Right. Um, right. Like it got really, really big or in, you know, like the early 20s to late early 20s to early 30s issues where you're doing like City Fall and then the recovery from City Fall, like that felt really big and then things kind of mm -hmm. mellowed out a little bit and then they picked up with like, you know, late 30s to, you know, 50 where we saw what we saw in issue 50. So there's been this like really cool ebb and flow throughout the Turtles books, but I don't mean that in the sense of like, oh, after 50, things got bad for some time and then they got better at issue 70. It's just like, oh, no, exactly. They have done such a good job of letting this world and letting this universe and letting the characters within it just build and break away. And there's, there's just been so much evolution. It really does feel like just a great story from start to finish. That's, that's not even finished. We're just talking about another yeah. chapter in the book closing. But again, dude, I, I think this book is criminally underrated and criminally overlooked. And mm -hmm. I hope that some of the hype from issue 100 kind of grabs people and gets people to take a look. I know that usually happens with big issues and stuff like that. So I'm hoping that that happens this time because this book deserves more attention and with that being said, we've got these 100 issues now. We can look back at these whenever we want and, and enjoy these 100 issues whenever we want. Like you said, I, I thoroughly believe that Tom Waltz and Bobby Curnow and the teams, the art teams you know, involved in this book, they're going to go down in Turtles history. I would argue, dude, that uh, you, you probably have a little bit more experience with the older comics and so I'm, I'm not trying to start a fight with anybody on the technodrome forums or anybody on twitter <laughs> or whatever but i would argue that this is the most consistent and the strongest turtles comic book like volume or version that exists um, well let me tell you something i 
first of all, you and I are very similar in that the cartoon is what got us into the turtles. Mm-hmm. You know, the, the cartoons are what kind of brought us in. And when I was a teenager, the comics, when I found, when I finally found the comics and I opened that whole world, my love for the turtles had only grown. Mm-hmm. And at the time when I started podcasting and stuff, volume four was, was my number one. Volume four was my number one favorite turtles comic books. But I can only say for me, you know, in my experience, and I'm not saying this, you know, objectively that everyone should agree with me. I'm saying that for me, this run, I know I'll always love volume four. It's, it's got some special stories that still get me teary to this day thinking about them. Mm-hmm. And then they're very character driven. And I love that. And I love Peter Lair's writing style. I love Jim Lawson, Eric Brookner, Dan Berger, so many others. But for me, as far as consistent quality and quantity over time, there's nothing that touches IDW. Right. There is nothing that touches IDW for me. Yeah. So I have to, I have to back you on that. At least I, I agree with that. And that's not just me saying that. I'm not trying to start any fights with anybody. I know people are very passionate about what they like. Absolutely. I'm just speaking for me. For sure, man. So with that being said, clearly, uh, again, listeners, Rob and I like issue 100. We, we, like, oh, yeah. we like issues one through 100. Yep. So now, before, before we close this thing off, Rob, basically the big question is, now what? You know, we, like we both said, we saw so many things come to an end in this book. Hun, mm-hmm. Bishop, uh, the Dragon Warrior. I mean, that's, that's not 100% a sealed deal. Like, that may very well come back in the future. But this book closed so many doors and then opened some new ones. And like the first couple things that come to mm-hmm. mind is you brought up Kitsune. The first thing that comes to mind for me is how are we, when we get issue 101 in next month, how are the turtles going to react to a Rokusaki? Like he just, he just appeared out of this spiritual blast of energy that destroyed this dragon. The dust is settling and he's walking out of this cloud of smoke, carrying the body of their father. And I just cannot imagine how they're going to respond to this or how they're going to react. And then how once they figure out what went wrong or what not what went wrong, but what happened, like our dad sacrificed himself to bring this dude back. Like right. we, we battled this dude. We fought this dude. He almost killed one of us for those who don't know, but everybody listening to this probably knows, but this dude was our mortal enemy. He was, we had a blood feud with this dude that not only happened now, but happened in the past. We've we've had beef with this dude for two lifetimes. <laughs> and now and now we're supposed to just believe he's a good guy? Like our our dad died to bring this dude back and we're supposed to just be cool with him? I'm very interested to see how they're gonna react to that. And then I'm very interested to see like like you brought up with Kitsune, like they'd they'd always like kind of drop these like little lines or hints that like there was something between her and Oroku Saki that felt like very much like a uh, like a real life, like love story. But then there was always these kind of underlying things of, well, she's just using him. Right? Well, she's manipulating him. Well, she just wants to use him in her, in the Pantheon's game and, and bring the dragon warrior back. So it was kind of, I don't want to say abrupt, but it was kind of weird to see Kitsune and Shredder's story played as like a love story. And that, right. and that she, she was trying to bring the dragon Lord back because she missed 
Oroku Saki, not because she wanted to bring her father back. So I'm very interested in that stuff and very interested in like, what are we going to see Karai do? You know, because she was just trying to kill Splinter, kill the turtle, Mm -hmm. take control of the Foot Clan. And now that that's been stopped, Shredder's back. What does she do now? How does she respond to the return of Shredder? And then there's all these things, you know, circling around. There's this big storm that's now being kicked up. And we've got old Hob, who knows where in New York City, with the mutanimals and all these freshly mutated humans, like... What's going on with that? And then we get the last freaking page in the book where Leatherhead now has Krang in his stomach. <laughs> it's like, dude, yeah. they they gave us so much to end with. They gave us so many like satisfying conclusions. And then they were like, guess what? We're going to completely kick all the doors open that like, you know, I remember when when I saw people when when Tom and everybody announced that he was going to be off the main book after a hundred. A lot of people were like, Oh man, they should just end it. They should just end it with Tom, let him do his thing. And then, and then start over or start something new or, Oh man, I'm really worried about the new team. Where are they going to do? What are they going to have to work with? Dude, they have a ton to work with. Oh my gosh. Yeah. There's so much stuff. So just, you know, where, where are you at with those certain subjects and how, how do you feel? Uh, how do you feel about these things and how do you think, we're going to, you know, see these books evolve into the future. I, well, everything you said uh, is exactly how I feel. Those are all questions I have, particularly old Hob. I, I think that might be probably the first, well, I don't know what storyline they might go through first, but there are plenty of things that, that they can do now. I mean, the door's wide open. And I just think this year is going to be a, another wonderful year. It's going to be, it's going to be different, but I, I don't think the quality has, is going to, decrease one bit. I, I think there's plenty of, of things to be interested in uh, right now. And I think for a lot of folks, it might be a, a great time to come on board too. You know, Absolutely. I'm sure they'll do some kind of interesting recap of, of everything that's happened, but yeah, man, there's, there's so much, so many questions. And uh, I'm just excited to, to be around for 2020 to see it. Same here, man. You and me both. I am, uh, <laughs> I'll I'm- keep buying them. Yep, I'm I'm ready for the next hundred issues. So, yeah, well, let's see. Good. And then not to mention they they dropped that ad in there for the last Ronin, which we can. Uh, oh yeah, we'll have to. I don't think that's a don't think that's something we want to tackle right now, as we've just cleared the two hour mark. <laughs> um, oh god! But we will we will definitely have you back in the future, Rob, and we can talk the last Ronin. Or I can join you in your next endeavor and we can talk the last Ronin. But that, ladies and gentlemen, is going to wrap up our recap of TMNT issue 100. Rob, I appreciate you, man, for so many reasons. You know, the easy one is I appreciate you for stopping by today, stopping by at least phone call wise. I know you are, you're in Tennessee, right? Oh, yes, sir. Knoxville, Tennessee. Knoxville, Tennessee. So, Rob, thank you for calling in all the way from Knoxville, Tennessee. I used to live in Clarksville, by the way, when I was a kid. So shout out Tennessee. Oh, no way. Yeah. Yeah. Um, thanks for calling in, man. Thanks for giving me, you know, two plus hours of your time. Please tell, uh, your kids and your wife that I appreciate their patience, appreciate them letting you sneak off and, uh, you know, join me for an episode of Booyaka show. Go ahead and let everybody know where they can find you on social media. And if you've got anything coming up uh, podcast-wise or whatever, let us know. 
but let let the people know where to find Rob. Uh, well, first of all, thank you, man. Thank you for, for having me. This was an awesome two hours. I, I had a feeling it would be a long one because uh, I just, uh, you know what? You're a kindred spirit of mine. Uh, I appreciate I, it, man. I, I, you're just one of the, the, the kind heart of people that, and, you know, you always stay positive. And I think that really shines through in your show. And uh, I just always admire that. And I, Thanks, and I said, you know what? I got to talk to that guy one day because he seems like a really cool guy. <laughs> I appreciate uh, that. So, oh, absolutely. It's been an honor to be on here, man. I'm a big fan of yours. I'm going to keep on tuning in no matter what. And as far as shows go, uh, Turtle Flakes, I'll never say never, but it, it feels like, you know, things have kind of wound down a little bit. My, my good buddy, Josh, he's got a job now that's uh, that's really taken a lot of his time. And I just can't really record very often with, with another co-host right now, you know, on the weekends. It's just tough with family and everything. So I might do a solo show. I, I've been definitely toying around with the idea. I don't know if I can do what you do, Josh, you know, where I could talk for you know, an hour straight just by myself. I don't, I don't think I'm, I'm that gifted in doing that, but I, I'm going to try. I was thinking about dedicating a, a podcast to, uh, to strictly the Turtle Tales book or the Tales of the TMNT books and okay. the volume four books. So I've been kicking around that idea. Uh, you can find me on social media, on Instagram at Turtle Tales Radio, all one word. And I'm hoping to start it off in January. If I'm going to do this, I got to kind of find out what hosting company I'm going to use, what website I'm going to use, things like that. Um, but if I can iron out all those details, I'm going to kickstart it in early uh, 2020. And it'll probably be a monthly solo show where I can just edit at my own pace uh, when I can. And if, if it ever does come to fruition, I would absolutely love to have you on there every now and then, man. I would love to, dude. Thank you. Uh, thank you so much for the kind words, man. Obviously, like you said, we're we're definitely kindred spirits as I as I do more episodes and I post more Instagram posts and I go to more conventions and more signings, it's, it's always really cool to see the connections that, that kind of just pop up. And, yeah, you know, for, for you and I, it started as, you know, me listening to your show and then you listening to my show. And I remember you left one of the very early reviews on iTunes for the first version of Booyaka show. And, you know, then we started talking on social media and it's, it's just been a really cool evolution. And I've met some really great people through doing this podcast and through the turtles community. Again, John Zelenak at sewer den youth with, you know, turtle flakes, my buddy drew my buddy TJ, like turtles turtles has given me so much just in terms of like my childhood and toys and mm-hmm. comics and movies. But then over the last handful of years, it's given me so much more than that. And I'm, I'm super grateful. So thanks again for stopping by. Thanks again for the kind words. Can't wait to see what the future holds for you. Um, I think you're a more than capable podcaster. I mean, again, we've, we've, we've talked for over two hours now. And if you break that down the middle, that's an hour for me and an hour for you. So I think you'll be just fine. Um, (laughs) That's true. So yeah, man, best, best of luck in the future. We will definitely talk soon. Don't hang up. I'm going to end the show and then we'll, we'll chat on the phone before I let you go. But ladies and gentlemen, that has been episode 19 of Booyaka Show, a TMNT podcast. Got to say thanks again to Rob for stopping by. Thank you guys, as always, for listening. You can find Booyaka Show anywhere 
that you subscribe and or listen to podcasts. We are on Apple Podcasts. We're on Spotify, uh, Google Play, Stitcher, TuneIn, anywhere. You can find me on social media. I am on Instagram and Twitter at ZosoTMNT. That is Z-O-S-O-T-M-N-T. Thank you guys so much for listening. Take care. We will catch you next time for Booyaka Show, a TMNT podcast. We are out of here. Cowabunga. Cowabunga. Cowabunga.